Hello, everybody, and welcome to another beautiful edition of The Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell. Robotics. Ro ro robotics. And that's Father Peter Musset over there on that couch. Robotics. And we are happy that you've joined us today robotics. for another wonderful episode of The Word on the Hill robotics. with the Lanky Guys. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I, you need I, a nap. Yeah, I do. But what I realized, I, I went to go see the Sufjan Stevens concert last night. Lucky duck. And um, and we were at the Red Rocks and uh, <laughs> at the Red Rocks at the Red Rocks. And I flew a kite while we were in the um in the parking lot. And, of course you did. And it was it was awesome. It was oh. some serious epic kite flying. But when we were trying to leave, we were like, you know what? Let's not wait in traffic. Let's just like hang out in the parking lot and like have like lawn games. And so we did. But, lawn games. There's no lawns in Red Rocks. Well, there's like dirt, which is you can do <laughs> lawn games dirt on games. dirt. Yeah, and so it, it happened. But then I realized that you can just look up any commercial that you have imagined from your youth, and it's on the YouTube's. What did? How? What's the connection with Sufjan Stevens? Or were you just? Is this just? I, I'm just. This is stream this is of like consciousness. Mental download. You know. No, it's good. Thank you. Today has been just a wonderful day. I just have to say, it's like beautiful outside. My feet beautiful. are so stanky that it's like there's like green plumes coming off of them. You literally have them up on the table in my face. The, so you, that's okay. Well, they're they're not smelly anymore. They no, were. they've really died down. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, it just needed. It just like it's been hot in Colorado. Yeah, and you don't wear socks. So that's a bad combo. Robotics. That's it. I, I <laughs> named right. my computer that. And so Scott was like, do you know, know a computer on the network called Robotics? And I was like, that's my computer. I didn't quite ask it like that. I had a pretty good idea going into the question. Who had a computer on the network named Robotics? <laughs> it was you. Well, you guys, I have to say, um, next week, you're going to have to count on us doing a rerun. Do you think so? Yeah, because um, I'm going to be it. out of town. Scott's going to be out of town. Where are you going to be? I'm going to be in Kansas City. Kansas City? Yeah, working nice. with um, Desert Streams Living Waters. We're both going to be in K-Cities. And you, where is your K-City? I will be in Krakow, Poland. Ooh, doggy. Over at World Youth Day for 24 hours. Dude, do you know how hard... Like, so quick. The thought of like doing international travel for 24 hours, you're almost traveling as long as you're being there. Do you know that's kind of what I do, though, with the England stuff? There's been so many things in England where I've had to make a quick trip over, do something, and come back. No, really? It's kind of how we live. That was my whole thesis defense, remember? Yeah, I guess that's true. It's cool. But we get the honor. Annie and I get to speak at World Youth Day, which is amazing. So we're very honored. I think we're going to... I'm, I'm going to miss the Pope, but we may give a high five to each other in the airport. Because I'm sure he'll be flying commercial. The, yeah, I'm sure. The, the, That's how he rolls. Dude, the Vatican One. Vatican you, One? No, it's called Shepherd One. Is it? Yeah. Really? Alitalia. It's always an Alitalia airline. It always changes its call sign to Shepherd One when the Pope is on board. No, that's true cool. story. I'm I'm kind of impressed by your uh, extraordinarily wonderful knowledge. I don't entirely know why I know that, but I definitely do. Dude, you so know, take that. You know what happens when they when I step on a plane? Do you know what they call it? Uh, I, I've got nothing. Robotics. Oh, what is going on with you? <laughs> All right, it is the seventeenth Sunday of Ordinary Time. If you insist, I do insist. What? <laughs> <laughs> we're it's you know it's a good blessed day but we're both a little tired and loopy it's been a long day so far it's it's been a long day and it's like, only 1 30 <laughs> i know it's it's so absurd but we're doing it on a tuesday which is like it's unusual of, that's the problem it isn't just, it it just changes the whole vibe tuesday you're right sorry about that 
All right. Well, anyway. Okay. Our first reading today is from Genesis 18, 20 to 32. It's actually a direct pickup from last week, which is always fun. I like it when they do that. Our second, our responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm 132, verses 1 through 2, 2 through 3, 6 through 7, and 7 through 8. And the responsorial itself is coming from 3a. Um, are you sure that it's not Psalm oh, 138? That's what I said. You said 132. I did not. 138. Pause, pause it. Uh, just to see if you can prove me wrong. Yeah. Well, after extensive background research in the podcast, we found out that I did, in fact, say 138. <laughs> Which is where our psalm comes from. No, you said 132. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, our psalm, our responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm 138, and then all the verses I mentioned. <laughs> and then we're in Colossians 2, 12 to 14. Yeah, we are. Our response, our gospel, I'm all over the board today. Our gospel is coming from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Dude, that's awesome. Well, you better believe it's awesome. Dude, I just have to say, say it. Um, I I've, I've been talking to a lot of people and like lanky guys listeners, I think are like some of my favorite people in the world. They should be. Because like you guys like they suggested pay the bills, man. for for like other people and you are like dedicated except for have you noticed this that every single time you talk to somebody who listens to the podcast you're like oh what do you think of this week they're like i haven't listened this week yet they do say that a remarkable a, amount a mar- remarkable i'm still catching up and i'm like how do you I'm catch up you just skip episodes dude yeah just- there's no catching up really i mean i guess if you just want to study the scriptures yeah which is what we're all about i mean so you should want to do that i shouldn't denigrate people who want to study the scriptures no, they pay the I mean, bills right they do because we charge their phones every time they listen to the podcast they don't realize that ah, i don't i don't say no, that. we don't do that we no, don't charge we, can't, we don't have the ability dude there's somebody who's like confused right now they're like they do or paranoid dude you're paranoid well, i am paranoid genesis it's 18. not you know what they say it's not paranoia if everyone really is out to get you okay <laughs> so back to genesis we are picking it up Pick it up, pick it up. Right where we left off, right? I mean, if you insist. I do. Wait, I don't know if it's right where we left off. We didn't leave off last week at 1820, dude. We were in chapter 18. We skipped We skipped maybe 10 verses. Uh, but we, remember the storyline. Yeah, yeah. But the, the whole thing, yeah, we were in verse 18. We skipped 10 verses. But the yeah. thing is, is it was just Sarah was just told that she was going to have a baby. So yeah. like, like as far as the narrative string goes, things have changed up pretty significantly. Well, yes and no. Because remember, where were we last week? Last week we talked about how Abraham had just, he'd been circumcised. and Abraham. gotten pretty ugly. And he was sitting at the door of his tent looking for someone he could serve. So he was sort of finally beginning to act out of the vocation that God had called him to. He was looking for someone to show loving... Remember that, that Hebrew concept, gemilut chesed, the act of loving kindness, the, the thing that he was trying to show. Those three angels right. appeared. He serves them. And while they're there, one of the angels te- says to Sarah that she's going to have a son. Right. And she's kind of listening behind the wall, and she like, snorts out a laugh. Like... <laughs> And she laughs, and he says, well, he's going to be named Isaac, which means he laughs, which is kind of cool. There's a double meaning there. Number one, it's speaking to Sarah, who didn't really trust God entirely. She laughed at the possibility. But then it kind of evolves in a certain sense, and eventually that name becomes the laughter of pure joy and excitement over this child who's going to come. So it's kind of a double meaning. It's not just this kind of mockery of Sarah who laughed at it, but it becomes a laughter of joy. So that's what we skip over. But um, where we pick it up today, these three pick it up, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. These three angels, they're, they're three visitors. We're not told explicitly who they are. I think we mentioned last week. There's traditions in the church 
that suggests that they are the three archangels, Michael, Raphael, and um, Tobit. No, no, uh, <laughs> Gabriel, Gabriel. Thank you, thank you. I, for that. You just I, stared at me blankly. I know because I because that's how it feels to hang out with you. What to be stared at blankly? You know, you're like you're like the three archangels, you know, and then you're like, and then then Bill Mansfield has to like hit the <laughs> hit his iPod. <laughs> oh, poor Bill. I know, but there's that. that yeah, I I think that who was the one who said that uh, she was going to have a son? Oh, um, well, obviously. <laughs> It was, it was clearly the, uh, the one who said, you know, that she's going to have a son. Oh, it doesn't say. You're just, you were trying to trick me. <laughs> you totally tricked me. Dude, I did trick you. How did it feel? Terrible. I know. I, I feel, feel dirty inside. I know. But this is, this is. I the, don't know who told her. I would bet it's say. Gabriel. Gabriel is the Of course problem. it was Gabriel because he announces babies. Yeah, I know. Doggone it, Father Peter. I know because he you just, see him in You're Micah. just sitting there with that smug little face. <laughs> you knew you were going to pull a really cool insight and you were just using me as a I, foil. I was, dude. Is this that is, what it feels like to be does. you? It does. It really hurts Shit. a lot. I don't. Oh, and then that was just, a good insight. It's probably Gabriel. It's probably Gabriel. What a great insight! Because Gabriel is also the one who went um, in the book of Micah and announced that there'd be 40, 40 weeks of years until Daniel. the Messiah. Is it Daniel? Daniel. Yeah. yeah. That there'd be forty weeks of years. Way to pull out Micah, Micah though. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was in Daniel. And which is why, oh gosh, there's so much going on there. I mean, it's really in the book of Daniel where you get the angel Gabriel appearing to Daniel in exile and basically telling him exactly how long it's going to be till God set things, sets things right. And then an explanation to Mary or Zechariah rather as to why this is now the time. His answer when Zechariah says, how am I supposed to know this is true? He's like, cause I'm Gabriel. So in other words, I'm the one that gave Daniel the time frame of when you knew you would come out of exile and Israel would be saved. Yeah, as he's announcing the birth of John the Baptist. So yeah, I bet you're right. I bet it is Gabriel. That's cool. Yeah, dude. I never saw that. I will pull out a big one. Boom. I think that I want to ask the intercession of Gabriel the Archangel. If ever like I'm struggling with how long the process of purification or waiting for the answer of the Lord is because... I mean, so whenever you guys feel like the podcast is getting long-winded, you can pray to Gabriel <laughs> that it will come to an end soon. Please. How please long, oh Lord, will this podcast last? Bantering for the love oh, of true. everything true. good and holy. It's true. All right. So here's where we pick it up then. So we have, again, we're, we're speculating that these are these angels. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's an interesting meditation though. So imagine that they are, whatever it is, they are representatives of the Lord. And it says, in those days, the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grave that I must go down and see whether their actions fully correspond to the cry against them that comes to me. And I mean to find out. It's the interesting setup for the next part of the book. Now, what do we know about Sodom and Gomorrah so far? Do you remember where that shows up earlier? Isn't it Lot? Yeah, I remember Lot. Yeah, he goes and he's camping uh, near the Tenebrae. Bear, brand berries of Mambra. I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's actually Abraham. Oh, yeah. By the terabit, the Mamre. Yeah. Oh, boy. That's a kind of tree. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, but but Lot is associated with Sodom and Gomorrah. Because remember when... He moves into the city at some point. Yeah. So that this whole kind of... I, I, I love to think of Abraham's story as this big heart monitor, right? The constant up and down. <laughs> so way back at the beginning of Abraham's story, <laughs> back in chapter 12... When God calls Abraham to leave his home and his family and his kindred and, and his homeland and, and go to a place where God will have, has yet to reveal to him, Abraham does it. He gets up, he packs up, he starts moving to where the Lord is going to show him. 
but he does exactly what the Lord asked him not to do, which was bring his family. He's allowed to bring his wife, obviously, but he brings his nephew, Lot. Which oh, really? Is, he wasn't supposed to bring Lot? Well, what it says in the text is leave your homeland and your family, your extended family and your kin and come after me. And then very subtly in the text, it says, oh, by the way, he brought his nephew. And you read that together and be like, well, wait a second. That's exactly what God asked him not to do. So the text never comes out and says, look, Abraham made a bad decision by bringing Lot. But if you read it close, you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, he probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> oh, it goes yeah. against. And then from there on out, Lot is going to cause all sorts of problems. I mean, like for big, Abraham. a lot of big, problems. Ah, oh, very good. I was just about to say that. Ah. Way to steal the thunder. So remember, this war breaks out with Lot. So Lot, remember, they have a fight over the, the territory that they're going to have. He says, Lot, okay, you can choose the best portion. Choose whatever you want. And it says that he goes and settles near Sodom and Gomorrah. And then that big war breaks out and Melchizedek comes out because Abraham had to save him because the kings had captured him in this warfare. Lot is always causing lots of problems, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah he does. He kind of is in the middle of a bunch of really problematic situations. He really is. Why did he move to that city? I wonder. Hmm. I wonder who, but who, who, hey, who Why? wrote the book of love? <laughs> Well, it says, remember, at the beginning of the story that it was the better looking part of land, the more fertile, the more beautiful. So he says it settled because it was like that. Yeah, but I mean, if I move into a city, I'm kind of checking out what the culture is. Yeah, you'd think. Okay, here, but I want to get to that because this is important. So a couple things to say about this. Um, th this theme of, of uh, Gemilud Chesed, right, showing works of compassion, works of loving kindness. It's fundamental for the Hebrew mindset and certainly this part of Genesis, right? That's what Abraham has just done for these angels and showing them these acts of generosity. But um, one of the things that's going on, so there's this, uh, oh, where am I in my notes? Yeah, so God is going to send these angels before him into Sodom and Gomorrah to represent him, really. Two, because two, we, we believe that there's a Yeah, third. one disappears, one yeah. kind of goes away. And in the Jewish tradition, so not only is God sending them as his representation, but these angels will represent the stranger, the foreigner, and the poor. Mm. The stranger, the foreigner, and the poor. And part of the test for Sodom and Gomorrah is to see how the stranger, the poor, and the foreigner are going to be treated in this city. And the way the whole thing is sort of set up, it says in the beginning of this passage, it says the, the, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah was great. And I want to talk about that word outcry for a minute. The, the, the term in Hebrew is sed akha. Sed akha. So, aha, 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 aha. Sed akha. It's the word for outcry. And it, it's, a, it's a term that you see a couple of other times. Remember that hymn? The Lord hears the, the cry, cry, the sadakah of the poor. So that, that's the term that's being used there. It's often the language of the prophets who say the outcry against such and such a city, sometimes Jerusalem itself, has gone up to God. Uh, a couple other times in Exodus chapter 7, remember Israel in captivity when they're in, in, in exile with the Egyptians. Right. It says their cry went up to God, their outcry, their sedakah. So this is a term that shows up a number of times. And um, this is what's happening. This is what the Lord is hearing about Sodom and Gomorrah. And to get an understanding of what's going on here, because here's the problem. We... <coughs> rightly so, tend to focus on one particular sin that's happening in Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. Which is not to be overestimated. It's a significant one to be sure, the idea of sodomy, right? Um, which is one problem, though, but I want to read a quick passage. I marked it in my Bible. There's a commentary about Sodom and Gomorrah in the book of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel tells us what exactly the problem was in Sodom and Gomorrah, and it says this. It's in Ezekiel chapter 16, 
verse 49. And it says, behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, a surfeit of of food of prosperous ease, but they did not aid the poor and the needy. They were haughty. They did abominable things before me. And therefore I removed them when I saw it. What the scriptures actually say is that the main problem in Sodom and Gomorrah is that they're abusing, they, they have lots of money, they have lots of wealth, lots and of comfort, pride. lots of pride, and they are abusing the poor and the stranger and the foreigner. Oh. And, and the idea is, and I'm not saying this to underestimate the sexual sin right. that is what we know Sodom and Gomorrah for, but the idea is the sexual depravity, which is always associated with Sodom, is really symptomatic of a much deeper problem, which is the problem of human selfishness. The problem of wanting to take and keep for ourselves. And I've been reflecting on this this morning and there's so much in the scriptural narrative and the themes that are pulled out. I mean, go back to the Garden of Eden. What's the problem of Eden? It's that Adam and Eve decide to take something that is not rightfully theirs. And when they do it, remember, they realize the shame. They hide themselves because all of a sudden now they have the fear of being used as an object by the other. I'm going to cover up because I don't trust how you're going to look at me or use me. Um, We saw later on in Genesis, the sons of man taking women as they chose. This idea of taking something that's not ours. And here there's almost this deepening of this human reality of sin. We're taking whatever we want to, whether it's misusing our own bodies or misusing the bodies or sexuality of somebody else or other men or women or whatever it is. It is the deeper symptomatic problem of selfishness. We have and we want to take. I see something. I want it to be mine. And that's really the heart of the problem. And that's what the prophets are very explicit about. So to zero in on the sexual sin without understanding the roots of that sin, number one, it helps us to misunderstand Genesis, but it also helps us, it helps us misunderstand our own culture because we have a lot of sin in our culture. We have a lot of sexual sin, a lot of things that are kind of firing up and going crazy in our culture nowadays, but a lot of it roots back to this human selfishness that we don't care for the poor in our culture. We don't care for the elderly, the unborn, the most poor, the most vulnerable, the most needy because of the selfishness. And then we see it played out in our own sexual indulgence and depravity and all sorts of other things. Mm. So I just think it's important, especially as we see these angels who are God's representation and specifically how they are treated, it gives us an insight into what's really going on here. Because then when we as a culture want to just fight the symptoms of our deeply sinful culture, we're actually never going to solve it unless we get to the heart of the matter, which is a matter of the heart. Does that make sense? Yeah. So then that's what I've been thinking about because I think, I mean, the Ezekiel passage just really struck me today because Ezekiel is very clear how this happened. Yeah. I'm selfish. I have what I want and I want more of it. And I think, I mean, I'm not trying to get into a commentary, but there's so many things in our culture and the experimentation and the things we're trying to do with changing genders and changing the definition of marriage that is just us wanting what is not rightfully our domain to change. Mm. You can't do that. You can't just have whatever you want to. Yeah. Again, there's lots more we could say about that, but that's really not what's that addressed in this reading. That's the backdrop. That's what's happening. There's a part of and me that, that is uh, thinking about uh, seven brides for seven <laughs> brothers. Oh, why? The, the Sabine women, because like taking what is not rightfully yours oh, yeah, and, totally. then, like, and like uh, storing it away and then, and then realizing how complex and horrible that reality is. Like when we, we yeah, when, when we do that, it's really, yeah. it's really profoundly difficult upon the soul. Like, I mean, I, I just think about like, how I don't know if you've ever stolen anything. No comment. 
um, you know, I, 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 when I was younger, you know, there was the World Youth Day signs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I've been thinking about that a lot as I'm heading to World Youth Day in Poland. <laughs> I'll see if I can steal you a sign. <laughs> Thanks, please. Maybe again. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. All these pilgrims are diverted. But like, when you steal <laughs> something, there's something in your soul that like, like, like turns sour, mm. and and like the amount of hiddenness that you have to live. And oh. so, so like mistreating somebody like a foreigner and like the poor it is stealing it's in a very real way yeah, i mean like you're stealing their dignity yeah and pope francis is talking about you know when we're when we abuse food which is gosh is like the mm. huge guilt of our nation right now i was so reading a terrible article about how much food we waste yeah um is like we're stealing from the poor because they, they're actually hungry and i think that there's like i've been reading um uh, les miserables Miserable. les mis and um, the miserables, the miserables. And like, it just all is like this trigger point from this thing of the profound need for food and the universal yeah. destination of goods. Yeah. And so, but here's the thing that's kind of beautiful about it. God doesn't come right out and just tell Abraham, Hey, here's this terrible culture. We need to do something about it. He actually, th- th- it's profound in what actually happens in the street. This is this famous passage in which God is telling Abraham, he's, he's allowing Abraham insight into the divine plan, Yes. which in this case is I'm going to wipe out these cities. Tough break for those suckers. And Abraham's response is, well, wait a second, that, that just doesn't seem right. And he said, are you going to sweep away the innocent with the guilty? Surely there are 50 innocent people in the city. And the Lord's like, okay, if we can find 50 people, I'll spare it. And they can't. He's like, well, what about 45? And he says, okay. And then what about 40? What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? And there's this moment where it seems like God is a God who could change his mind and that Abraham can coerce or debate God into changing something that God is going to do, <laughs> which, is, which is so patently false. This is a moment, no, two things. God is condescending, right. and I don't mean that in the negative sense, no, no, to, no, to literally not, not lower like, himself. Yeah, yeah. To speak, you know, it's when we see a baby and we speak baby talk to it. That's kind of what God is doing to Abraham. Yeah. Fine, I'll indulge you. I'll go back and forth with you. It's it's really Socratic method. Yeah. Socrates talks about how he was like a midwife trying to give birth to an idea, which is a fascinating imagery. It's sort yeah. of weird. But that's what God is doing. He's going back and forth to what end? Not so that God can change his mind about what he's going to do. I mean, who changes by the end of the story? It's Abraham, Abraham, who now has a deeper understanding into what, oh, this is what God is doing. So that's one piece of it, that Abraham now understands the ways of God in a new way. But the other piece, and the rabbis love to talk about this, God is training Abraham to be an intercessor. Right. What is his job? To intercede for people, which he's doing here. And it's actually very beautiful as Abraham enters into the heart of God and intercedes on behalf of the people. And in the end, understands the ways of God. And what what are the ways of God? Not that God is bloodthirsty and wants to wipe people out, but that utter injustice and depravity cannot go on forever. No. The outcry of the poor cannot go unheard because that is not justice or mercy. Right. God has to step in at some points and set things right and hear the cry of the poor and hear the cry of the marginalized and those abused. Otherwise, it's not a God of mercy. So sometimes we have our minds flipped on the God of the Old Testament. Oh, he's just mean and always punishing. No, he's actually rescuing in a very real way because he can't let evil go on forever. And that's what Abraham learns through this. Yeah. Wow. And that's talk about uh, ideas that I think are really important in this contemporary moment in our country. Yeah. Is like, how do you actually be attentive to the needs of the poor and the marginalized and those who 
um, feel alienated and um, who are being alienated and who are being mistreated and misused. Like, like those are, those are things that like we must keep at the forefront of our minds. And there's not easy answers to those things. No, because it's not just let's wipe them out. I mean, vengeance is the Lord's. That's not our job to do. That's exactly. And and when you see vengeance taken place, it's so mournful and horrifying that you go like, "This was the. Mm -hmm. This is a wrong wrong decision." Yes. And like, and everybody can freely acknowledge that and say, "No, this is wrong." But what is the right path? I mean, yeah. I mean, there's always going to be people who say, "Oh yeah, let's you know just Molotov cocktail the thing and go." But that's where the psalm is actually an interesting insight because then we get the psalm. And I mean, you read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and the going back and forth. And what I always want to focus on, you know, is, well, God destroyed these evil, sinful people. That's the moral of the story. But then the psalm kind of flips it on you and you get a different perspective. And so the psalm, the responsorial is, Lord, on the day I called for help, you answered me. The response that the psalm gives to the first reading is not the people who were punished, but it's the marginalized who are now saved and lifted up. Oh, you finally heard me. Mm. You answered me. On the day that I called, and I mean day is a little bit of a generic term in this sense, right? Because sometimes it takes a long time for God to act on your behalf. But he heard my cry, and we have a God who will always hear our cry. We don't want to focus on God the punisher because then we'll lose the idea of God the Savior, God who will lift us up and hear the cry. And so we get the, it, it's that, it's the part of the story of Sodom and Gomorrah that we forget that there's another group of people who are actually involved in this story, not just those being punished, but those who are actually being saved and set free of the slavery that they've been in, in a real sense. Mm-hmm. It's just an interesting insight. I think it's yeah. the other side of the coin that we forget about. And then the response is, I will give thanks to you more Lord with all my heart. If you've heard the words of my mouth, my said, aha. In the presence of the angels, I will sing your praise. In the presence of the angels, I will sing your praise. We believe that it was the angels who were going to this city to be as representatives. They are actually pretty abused in yeah. this story. But in yeah, their it, presence, and, and I they will have sing to be interceded for. I mean, yes. that's, that's the thing is like people are just like getting frisky, trying to get frisky with them, actually. Yeah, it's true. And you're like, that, yeah, that's really that's not, not okay. okay. And Lot has a very sordid part in this story. Yes. But. That's a story for another time, which takes us to Colossians. Colossians. Colossianoscopy. Nah, it's like, oh. <laughs> I know, I never want to say that, but I, know, I always I shouldn't end up, have said it. You shouldn't have. Now, now, what do you think we do with the Colossians? I'm, I, I mean, I can, I can try to think of ways to connect it, but what do you think the church is thinking by putting this here? Well, you know, I, I mean, <laughs> the, 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 the essence me. of this is, that, is saying that the baptism flows from the cross and that uh, we have been baptized. We actually experience the cross with the Lord. Yeah. So uh, if the Lord is actually forming Abraham to be an intercessor, what is the cross, but the, the essence of, of the deepest intercession, like, like Jesus goes and he says, I am willing to put myself in between, uh, in between sin and humanity. That it's, that, that it's, that it's, um, that, I want to rescue you. I am nice. am like actually acknowledging those things, and so so the intercession of the Christ, like that, is what baptism is. Is that we that our pattern of life is always going to be that, like we haven't been invited into salvation ourselves through His intercession, but that we're invited to participate in that and to not just wow. be some sort of um, passive observer. Good insight, because this is what Abraham is doing. Yeah, yeah. Prefiguring. Wow. Prefiguring. Very good insight. 
So, yeah, so obliterating the bond against us with its legal claims, which was opposed to us, he removed it from our midst, nailing it to the cross. He, like, like there, we, and in a certain sense, like, the, 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 we can kind of see within the city of Sodom and Gomorrah kind of a metaphorical or an analogous reality to all of the world. Yeah. It's super easy to get caught up in the wealth and the experience and to be, get uh, prone to just living in a sensual way to f- forget and to not acknowledge others and their personhood and to just dismiss them either in your lusts or within racisms. Like there, there's a lot of ways to actually just dis- to just not acknowledge the truth of the person in front of you. Yeah. And so, so the, the, the exact opposite is, is to be an intercessor, which is to acknowledge the personhood that's in front of you yeah. and then to act for their good, not just to, mm. to just be a passive observer and say, oh, yeah, somebody will do something sometime. No, yeah. we're going to be engaged even if it's just the little lot that is put right directly in front uh, of us. I see what you did there. <laughs> nice work. Well, Which brings us into Luke. It does. It's a good segue into Luke. Luke, there's actually a lot going on in Luke. There's three different chunks to this, and it's hard to kind of figure out how to put them all together. Yeah, because we got the Our Father. Yeah, we got the the analogy of the bread and the inconvenient guest. <laughs> yeah, that's. I've never heard it called the inconvenient guest. Because yeah, like, I like that actually it, a lot. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, sub dude, I need some bread. You're like, <laughs> seriously, bro? The inconvenient guest. Well, okay. So first of all, the, uh, the, our father. So Luke 11, it's interesting where this sits and, and we're, we weren't far from here. I think we, we, it, we're, we've just left the story of Martha and Mary. Remember last week and we're pretty close to it here. I think it might be right after, but what, one of the things that's worth noting from Luke, let's see, chapter nine, verse 51 through chapter 19, I think 28 or something like that. Okay. It's what's called the travel narratives. So from Luke 9:51 on through 19, Jesus is en route to Jerusalem. And he's made it clear, starting with the transfiguration, that he is now headed to Jerusalem and he's going to perform this new exodus, right? right? That's what was said at the transfiguration. And so everything within those, what is that, like 10 chapters, speaks to people traveling someplace or someone coming home to someplace or someone being unprepared for the arrival of somebody or all sorts of things like this. Jesus setting everyone up for about what's about to happen. So everything that we read within those chapters needs to be read in that light of someone coming home or someone coming back or a master returning or somebody who's unprepared for something. They're all read in that light. So it's interesting that we get the Our Father here. And it's funny, it really is right after the Martha and Mary scene where you have these two people who are kind of confused, at least one of them, who's confused about how they're actually supposed to serve the Lord. Because Martha, remember, she thinks it's all about doing these things and making the food and showing hospitality, which are not bad things. But of course, it's Mary who chose the better portion. She sat at his feet. And you might imagine among the disciples now, there's some confusion. Like, well, wait a second. What should we be doing? Like, right. she's just sitting there. And that's better than the person who's actually trying to show hospitality. But what about our father Abraham, who showed hospitality? And we know that was a great good. So what are we supposed to be? You can imagine some confusion. Absolutely. And so in response, Jesus says, okay, this is how you're supposed to pray. This is how you are to approach me. And he gives the Our Father prayer, which we don't have time to go into this in this moment, but... Um, you know, a lot of work has been done to show that every line of the Our Father prayer is an Exodus prayer. 
It's, it's a prayer that oh. is reminiscent of the entire Exodus story. When is the first time God is revealed as father? It's in the Exodus story in Exodus four, when he calls Israel, his firstborn son, our father who art in heaven, how would be your name? When is God's name first revealed with Moses at the burning bush at the Exodus? Um, your kingdom come, your will be done. Oh, your kingdom come. It's the shortened version in Luke. Give us each day our daily bread, the manna from heaven. Forgive us our sins. The jubilee year of release from sin and debt is given in the Exodus time. As we forgive everyone who is indebted to us and do not subject to us to the final test. The testing, the temptation of Israel in the wilderness during those years. I, I mean, we can unpack this much more, but wow. there's a lot to be said for the fact that I really do think every single line of this prayer is an Exodus prayer, which is not coincidental because we found out in the transfiguration, where is Jesus going? He said, I'm going to Jerusalem where I am to have my Exodus. What is the Exodus? The Exodus fundamentally was a movement. It's a journey from slavery to freedom, a movement from captivity to being given a promised land, from homelessness to landedness, right? That's right. what the Exodus story is. Now, Absolutely. in this part of Luke, we're on a journey. Where? To the cross, well, what does that say about the cross? It says the cross is our homeland and is the means to which we will be brought home. You can think of, I'm trying to think of how do you, how do you contextualize this with Abraham? You have somebody on a journey. You have people who need to be released from a captivity. You have people who are crying out the sedekah. The first time you see that sedekah or the, the next time in the scriptures you see that sedekah is in the Exodus story when Israel is in captivity. So there's all sorts of these um, echoes of kind of what's going on here. Again, we focus the Sodom and Gomorrah story on the sinners in Sodom and Gomorrah rather than the people who are actually set free from their captivity from this, the people who are being abused, which is an important distinction. So Jesus, in light of the story from the Old Testament, is reminding us, number one, when you were to pray, pray about those who need release. Pray about your own captivity. Find the ways in which you need God to set you free. And then it sets us up for the rest. Then you have this, the parable of this, you know, persistent person who's showing, banging on the door, saying, I need the bread. It reminds me, of course, of Abraham who keeps like trying to hedge his bets with God. Well, what about 50? What about 40? What about 30? He keeps yeah. knocking on the door, right? It's not that Abraham's prayers aren't answered. They are answered in the sense that Abraham now understands by the end of this. God doesn't ignore Abraham's plea. God actually lets him in in the most profound way imaginable. And then you get this uh, at the very end, you know, I tell you, you will ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open I mean, to you for everyone who asks lines. receives. Yeah. But what is, how does this fit with the first reading in Abraham? Well, first of all, you have people who are oppressed and abused, asking, knocking, seeking for a God who will save them. He shows up. You have Abraham asking, seeking, knocking, trying to understand the ways of God, and he is answered. He is given what he wants. He doesn't, it's not quite the result that he was quite looking for, right. but his prayer is answered in that now he has knocked on the door of God's heart and he's been let in. He sought out to understand the ways of the divine and he's given access to that. He you know, is, it is answered. I just think about uh, the scene in Sodom and Gomorrah where they're looking to abuse the angels. Yeah. They're knocking on the door and trying Absolutely. to knock the door down. And it's like, so yeah. like we do, we, we have, we have uh, like a, a view of 
where what are we gonna do like what is our destiny where are we knocking where are we seeking what yeah. are we seeking for that salvation are we we're all knocking for, for something those? we're all seeking yeah, something absolutely where where yeah. is our desire what is that desire about yeah. and like being able to like have that oriented correctly yeah is is awesome and that's actually yeah. where that our father where the exodus and just saying like the homeland the, the promised homeland Dude, it's it's wild because I think that I mean I think it's the Paschal mystery and not merely just the cross. Though so the cross, I no, think, I, is, the, yeah. is, the, is the gate and like yeah, cause, and cause, I, I I misworded that. Yeah, because it's it, more than just the cross. It is more the cross, more than just the cross. It, it like, but our homeland is is like the you know the 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 um the passion, death, resurrection, and ascension. The of cross Jesus is Christ. the door. Exactly, it is the door that is knocked on. Which it is the beautiful gate. It is the beautiful gate. Yeah, and you're a beautiful gate. Thank you. And you bet. All of you who are listening, we think you are beautiful gates. You are beautiful gates. What's up, Doc? <laughs> Dr. Octagon. Yeah, I think these are challenging ones, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. Hopefully, we've shared some insights, but I don't think there's easy answers in this either. Yeah, I mean. So there's a part of me that's left dissatisfied because it doesn't get wrapped up with a nice little bow, but I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the intercession. I mean, intercession. Yeah. If you understand that you are with Christ and that what you do for others actually matters and is effective and powerful is something that we, we oftentimes neglect. And if we neglect that, then there's a lot of things that the Lord can't quite accomplish without uh, us. I mean, he actually... Which is the second us. reading from last week. And so don't be caught in shame. Be caught up in authority. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're caught up in shame, then go confess and yeah. if, and 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 reclaim the authority that has been given you in Jesus Christ in your baptism, yeah. and and go from there and live in integrity and honesty and don't be caught up in pride and think that you're so great. Yeah, say like, no, God is great, and I'm going to uh, connect myself to Him, and I will intercede with Him, and I will go and 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 yeah, and even if it means that I have to kind of be an inconvenient guest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but knowing the, the trust of that inconvenient guest, right? Knowing that I, I he, I will be cared for. I'm just trusting. I'm throwing myself out there because <laughs> God will be cared for. But at the same time, like you said, the humility of Abraham to recognize, oh, I didn't get it. This isn't what I was looking for. But now I see I was wrong. Right. Yeah. Abraham was the righteous one. Is that Sufjan Stevens? Yeah. Nice. That's a good. All right, you guys. Well, we will be off next week. We will have a rerun. Father Peter will be in Kansas City. I will be in Poland. Pray for us both, please. And we will see you. But listen to the podcast because it's going to be awesome. It's going to be the best rerun you've ever heard in your lives. So we will see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks. Love you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. The Word in the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.